Eric, as people are listening to this podcast, we are driving down to Stanford to cover a football game that quite honestly feels like, you know, maybe not nationally, but from a local perspective here in Oregon, from the Oregon bubble, kind of like one of those make or break type games, right? Like this is an important football game for Oregon to, to win. And, and if they lose it, it, it may be even more important. Yeah. I think a loss here would be devastating. I, I, I we'll get to our predictions later. I don't necessarily expect it to happen, but if Oregon comes out of this game at two and two, um, obviously they don't have the bye week, which is a nice opportunity to regroup. But I look at that and go, that puts them and their conference championship uh, prospects kind of at risk. And it certainly eliminates them from any college football playoff talk. I mean, you, you can't lose two games, you know, this early in the season and expect to get to be considered, especially a Stanford team that's lost games pretty, pretty dominantly the last couple of weeks. They haven't looked very good. Um, that, that would be a disaster. Uh, and and certainly not what you want. And again, if the flip side is if they win and they win decisively, um, that I think opens the door for uh, people to look at them with a lot more respect nationally. Stanford might not be Stanford of, of most years, but it's still a, a respectable program. It's still in Palo Alto, still a tough place. I shouldn't say it's not like the hardest environment to win in, but Stanford is a hard team to beat historically. They're one of the most winningest programs this decade, and you know a win there at their place is never easy. So, um, yeah, I, I think a lot of you know a lot of things you, that kind of you weigh here, and certainly in terms of Oregon's chances of winning the Pac-12. And uh, speaking with Jordan Scott on Wednesday, you know they look at this almost like it's a NFL postseason is, is kind of the way that they he described it is. You lose one of these games, and it it really impacts your ability to to progress and to move on. You kind of have to you want to win every one of these games, and he and he's right because if you look at I was looking at this yesterday that uh, all the Pac-12 champions since 2010, none of them have lost more than one game. So you you lose this first game, uh, you then are basically expected, based upon what history has shown, to win out if you're going to win the conference, and that, that's that's sort of what the feeling is. I think you've got to. This is a it feels like weird to call it a must win, but it certainly is a very, very important game, and a loss would be devastating for what this team hopes to accomplish this year. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm with you in saying it's not a, it's not a must win, but it's as close to it, you know, being one as as it can possibly be, without crossing over that threshold, right? Like, you you, you can come out and you have to say like, well, Oregon could lose and still go on to win the conference championship, but the difficulty that that brings with it is incredible and so avoiding a loss week one in the conference slate is paramount for Oregon and that kind of slides us right into the injury news as the Ducks are going to have to do it with with some potential guys out of this football game you know we're still waiting on a couple of guys and their statuses to be announced we should go I think we should start right away with Juwan Johnson yeah um seems like he's been day-to-day for almost a month now and I, I'm starting to believe, Eric, he does not play this week. I mean, we know he's practiced a little bit this week, but Mario Cristobal's, you know, general assessment of injuries on Monday was with, when it, with regards to Jawan Johnson was much more positive than it was, uh, I feel like on Wednesday. Like between that time frame, you know, Cristobal's all of a sudden become day to day. We'll see what happens. You know, we'll see what, what, what's going on. Whereas on Monday, he was, Things are progressing well. We feel like he's close and, and, you know, 
yet again, though, we're, we're waiting on his status and will he play, but there's two other guys, uh, or I guess we should say, you know, Cam McCormick, we, we do know that status. He's been shut down. Yep. Um, the junior tight end, just a really bad deal all the way around. Good, good kid, guy that's just had to fight off injuries for his entire career and another one's popped up. Um, but we're waiting on, you know, Thomas, uh, we're, we're, we're waiting on Jake Hansen, Oregon's four-year starter at center. Um, all Mario Cristobal has said is he's being evaluated. So it's an undisclosed injury. Um, I think you can kind of read into that what you would think it would be. Um, and then the other guy that we're waiting on is starting defensive tackle Austin Folio, another guy that he missed the Montana football game. And he's also being listed as day-to-day for Oregon. But they did get good news as well. Yeah, the good, the good news is Thomas Graham, it has been full go, um, it seems like since Tuesday, so he's, he's, he's gonna be playing, and same thing with Bryson Young, um, Bryson obviously missed the Montana game, Crystal says he's been full go, um, from the beginning of practice this week, um, Cala Felici, uh, another player who got injured against Montana, also expected to play, he's a, uh, reserve safety defensive back, so, so some guys able to play, we, we've got a little bit of clarity for some guys, but you're right, there's, I think the guys that we were, well, Thomas Graham's probably one of the guys that you're, you're really excited about that news, that he's able to play. You, you want, especially against Stanford and especially how much they've been throwing this season, you want to have your full allotment of defensive backs. And so his his availability, I think, is paramount. That's huge news. But Jake Hansen, Austin Follow are two of the most valuable offensive and defensive linemen on the team. Obviously, Juwan Johnson, if he were to play, would be either, you know, the top target at the, you know, at wide receiver or one of the top targets at wide receiver. Um, so there's still some, some, some real interest here. And I think you, you know, if you just talk about, let's just say that those guys don't play, uh, Oregon has already been playing without Jawan Johnson all season. They've had some right. success throwing the football. I think obviously there's a lot of room for improvement from that group, but I, I would say going into this game with Stanford, I still feel pretty good about their ability to throw the football. Um, I know Stanford has Paulson Adebo, who's considered one of the top, uh, cornerback draft prospects going forward. Uh, he, he's considered a pretty lockdown guy, but their secondary hasn't been very good. Um, you know, I think RJ Abadia yesterday when we spoke with him said that their play at safety has been pretty disastrous, and that sounds positive for Oregon. Yeah, but, but Jake Hansen, you know, his replacement is Calvin Throckmorton. I don't think he can ask for much better <laughs> there, right? I mean, that's, that's as experienced and talented as a guy as you could almost hope for. It's not like you're throwing out a, a first-year player. Yeah, I think where with regards to the offensive line, where things are going to take the hits are like Oregon has been able to for the first three games rotate in um, a couple guys along the offensive line that we've seen on on a regular basis, and that's Stephen Jones, and then uh, we've also seen Malasala or not Stephen Jones, uh, Stephen Jones and Brady Aiello. Those two right. guys have basically kind of allowed Oregon some flexibility. You know, Brady will come in at tight end. He'll come in at right tackle. Um, and then Stephen Jones will come in at right guard. I think he's even had maybe one or two snaps as well as uh, at, at tackle. But with if Hanson can't go and he is replaced by Throckmorton, all of a sudden your depth takes a hit because you've got two guys that bring a ton of versatility and now you're down to one off the bench. And that means a guy like Alex Forsyth or uh, Malasala or maybe an Alex Forsyth 
they're going to have to play more snaps, whether they're ready for it or not, just because, you know, Dallas Warmack in, in three games has had to come out multiple times because of whatever reason, fatigue or what. Um, we, we know that, you know, the, the Ducks have also tried to rotate in a couple other guys, um, along the offensive line because of fatigue. And now your depth becomes a little bit shorter along the offensive line. And that's an issue. And then also that, you know, just even though Throckmorton's really good, I think at center, um, I think, you kind of you you kind of mess up with the flow the rhythm that you have with Hanson snapping to Herbert and you know that presents the the possibility of hey like you know, this could lead to something happening and we all saw you know a center exchange last year impact maybe even decide the, the football game so yeah it's it certainly I don't know if 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 Hanson's Hanson being out is a big deal I don't know if you can say that it's a game changer but it has the impact or the potential impact of, of having a big, you know, feel for this game. Well, and I think now we get to see Alex Mirabal, I think early on in fall camp was talking about how they have such great depth and eight or nine guys they feel good about. And some of those guys aren't even starters or players that other, you know, schools in the Pac-12 would start or would love to have in the rotation, et cetera, et cetera. And now this is a game here where we might actually see a little bit more of that in a competitive environment Against the Stanford defense, which frankly hasn't been a normal Stanford defense, but still is very talented, still has a lot of highly regarded players, um, and you know is going to be highly motivated. So I, I, I'm personally in the camp of if Hansen doesn't play, you've got Throckmorton and you've got Brady Aiello. Those are basically two guys who are starters at those spots or capable of being starters at those spots. I feel pretty decent about that. But my thing is, you're right, is if Warmack goes down and now you've all of a sudden you got to slide another player in there or if another player gets injured and now you're really dealing with some depth stuff. And um, that would be my concern. I think if, if they're able to keep the five that it sounds like they would start sure. upright, I feel pretty decent about that group. It's just one of those guys goes down and suddenly you're inserting somebody in here who maybe doesn't have the same experience. Because it's still, I mean, Brady Yellow started like, what, probably 25 games in his career and he's only been a regular starter one season. You know, and he's he's about as good of a six starter as you can, can find out there, but it's about if they have to go to Stephen Jones, who I think we all think is really talented. Yeah, um, he has, Brady has 10 starts as a freshman, three as a sophomore, and then he started seven games last year as a junior. So 20 career starts and he's played in 37 career games. Right. And so he, yeah, it would be tw- 21 starts if he plays this one. So I mean, he's about, again, about as experienced as you can get from a guy who's not a quote unquote full-time starter. So I feel pretty good about that core five. It's just if they have to, fill in other guys, you know, on a regular basis. If again, knock on wood, if there's another injury. Right. Um, Thomas Graham, like you said, is big just because Stanford has really good tight ends, really good corners. Um, other injuries that were, were still kind of waiting on to find out. Uh, Austin Folio is a game time decision. Um, I, I think that's a sneaky, impactful one. Like right. Dr- Drayton Kralberg, did really good against Montana in his place. I think he could perform really well against Stanford, but kind of along the same lines of Jake Hansen, that's, you know, you've now eliminated one guy from a rotation that's a really good rotation and everyone has to play a little bit more, or you have to throw in one of those freshmen that maybe not, isn't maybe not all the way ready yet uh, to play in this stage of a game. So I think that's a sneaky one as well, seeing if he's healthy or not. He didn't play against Montana. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, and 
I think we've, we feel pretty decent about the depth there, but it's not a lot of it's proven, like you just said. You've got a couple guys, some veteran players that are obviously experienced that have filled in for him in the past, because he has been, frankly, kind of injury prone throughout his career, up and down. Um, but there, yeah, th- th- that would put some guys out there maybe that haven't played in these kind of moments. Um, and that, that could be concerning. I think, I think the other thing you just have to weigh is that Stanford's so beaten up up front in themselves, yeah. especially on the offensive line that I'm not going to say it minimizes. If, if all you players are not, but like that could be a thing where it's both sides are a little dinged up and it maybe kind of nullifies any advantage either side would have. Um, Bryson Young is full go as well. He missed the game against Montana. Um, Khalif Alisi is also full go as well. Uh, he also missed the football game against Montana. So I think that's basically kind of the injury status for this team um, and where it plays out. For, Stanford, for Oregon against Stanford. Um, going into this game, though, like, I think you and I, Eric, we were kind of surprised when Sunday's line came out and it was 10.5, and, and it's basically stayed there all week. And you and I both were just kind of like, really? Like, that's the line? But as we've gone more and more into it and looked into this, this matchup between these two teams, I'm starting to believe that there's a good chance that Oregon could, could run away with this one. Like there, there's, there's not a lot of, I, I guess, positive mojo or positive optimism, if you will, coming out of the people we talked to that are covering the Stanford team. And, and we're seeing a ton of it coming out of this Oregon team. I, I mean, I was really taken aback. Uh, on the, no, I shouldn't say taken aback. That makes it sounds like I'm shocked. But I, I was, I was a little bit surprised, I think, in kind of the tone that RJ had when he was on the, the podcast, uh, yesterday. Um, be, because it did seem like there was a sense of, and he said, I think he said it basically straight up. There's a sense that people from Stanford, at least from a fan base perspective and the media perspective, really aren't expecting Stanford to win this game or even be all that competitive in this game. And for as good as this rivalry has been and as, Back and forth as it's been, and the fact that Stanford's won three in a row, I, I just that that surprises me. It, it feels it feels like I mean I, I've been impressed with what Oregon has done, especially the last two weeks. And I know Stanford's really struggled the last two weeks, but I just I was not expecting that to be the kind of sentiment right now. I I, I and I don't know if that I think that does change things a little bit in my head. It's always interesting to get that other side's perspective on kind of what their expectations are because I was. In my head, I was thinking it was more of like they still think they can win, but they know that they're going to have to play a perfect football. It almost seemed like there was a sense of like, like even if we play really, really good, if Oregon plays really, really good, we're probably not going to win. And I think that's an interesting assessment. I know they're really banged up, obviously. If you listen to the podcast yesterday, which I recommend you go check out, it's it's clear that Stanford is dealing with a lot of injuries just like Oregon, especially on the offensive line. Um, and it's clear that that defense was, I guess, expected to not be great. But uh, – I just think I was again, yeah, a little bit surprised by, by kind of that sentiment, and I I do think for me that sort of changes things a little bit, uh, and because Oregon has this week, it's been a lot of confidence from that group, and a lot of I posted a story uh, on Thursday about how much that game last season meant, you know, the game that they frankly just choked away in the fourth quarter in overtime, and. Oregon's come into this game with that mentality, uh, that motivation. It doesn't seem like maybe there's that same kind of sense of 
importance from Stanford. I don't know if that's fair or not, but it, I, I was just sort of taken aback by that whole that whole narrative. Yeah, I, I think um, you have to take into account maybe who Stanford has played. I mean, they maybe played the toughest schedule to date in the country. You know, they they opened the season uh, against Northwestern, and then they had to play at USC without KJ Costello at quarterback, and then they had to go across the country and play a game at UCF, who was ranked in the top 25, and and now they have to play Oregon. I mean, that's that's brutal. Like, let's just throw out like Auburn from the schedule from Oregon and replace them with like a Fresno State or you know, uh, Kansas, like that schedule still doesn't even compare to, to what, you know, like, or that, that's not a bad schedule for, from an Oregon non-conference perspective. You know, they played a power five team, they played a decent, you know, group of five team, and then they played a, a strong FCS opponent. Like Stanford didn't even play a group of five team and they're not in, yeah. in their first three games of the year. And so I, I kind of wonder, like, they're always a slow starting team. And so while RJ, you know, was not very optimistic about Oregon, you know, about Stanford's chances, part of me still wonders, like, what Stanford team are we going to get? Because it seems like every year they always need about a month to get going. And unfortunately for them, you know, they've lost some games early in the, in the season that have cost them some really special years. And, you know, is this, Stanford team going to be similar. And it always seems like whenever Oregon and Stanford play, Stanford plays their best game of the year. Like that, that just always seems to happen. And so do we see that happen this time? Like what's the Stanford team are we, are we going to see on Saturday? And and maybe that's just me having so much respect for David Shaw as head coach and the program that they've got that I don't yet truly believe in my eyes or seeing that, this Stanford team isn't very good. Like I, I, I can't fully get on board with that idea. I understand those reservations, and and I have. I think we both have those reservations. I think I think probably everybody coming into this game, especially from an Oregon perspective, does have that. And the players said the same thing. You know, you kind of throw out. I think I think it was Avalos or maybe it was Cristobal that said like you throw out the non-conference schedule and you just look at the talent. And Stanford is still a really really good team. And that was kind of the players said the same thing. So I, I do think there's definitely a sense of like, yeah, this team is talented and, and capable. Um, and, and so I, I agree. I think there, I mean, I really think this game could go one of two ways and we'll talk about predictions at the end. I think it's either going to be a real knockout, drag out, normal Oregon Stanford game or Oregon is going to be really dominant in this game. And I think we'll know pretty early on what the outcome is, um, from that regard. I, I also feel though, like if Oregon shows up, and plays a complete game like they did in the first half against Auburn or how they played against Washington from start to finish last year or the first two and a half quarters against Stanford last season. Like if that Oregon team shows up on Saturday and I kind of think that they do, this game will get ugly. Like I I think Oregon's best is considerably better than Stanford's best considering the injuries and everything that, that both teams are dealing with or not dealing with. Right. I, I think the one area where if, if somehow Stanford's, I don't want to say somehow, like it's an impossibility, but if Stanford's going to win this game to me, I, I do think it's going to come down to, we've already seen, I think it's going to come down to Oregon's offense. I think Oregon's defense is going to do enough to give Oregon a chance to win this game or to put Oregon in position in this game. But if, if they're, 
unable to run the football, which is something we've talked about this week, you know, especially after that Montana game where there were certainly some, some plays that I think could have gone differently or you, or you feel like they should have had more success running. And then I do, th- I still have a, a sense of like, we feel like this passing game has looked really good, but they're playing against lesser competition and right. you still have a group of receivers who outside of Johnny Johnson, who I think has turned a corner and Jalen Red and Jacob Reeland, who are, are veteran guys, there's still to me some question marks. And if it comes down to Johnny Johnson gets kind of negated in this game based upon this Paulson Adebo, and Stanford's able to sort of limit the tight end play a little bit, and it becomes can Oregon beat Stanford on the outside with, you know, Brian Addison and David Davis and some of those guys, that to me makes me a little bit nervous. And that's where I would sort of pull away and go, like, if, if Oregon's going to lose this game, it's because they still can't make plays on the outside. All right, let's take a quick break here from our sponsors. You're listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast with Matt Preem and Eric Scoble. Welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Preem. Eric Scopel is with me. Um, talking Oregon, Stanford, and kind of going over what we, we think is going to happen. And Eric, now we're at that point where we're going to dive into some bold predictions for this football game. You've got five. I've got five. I'm going to – I'll start us off. Um, I, I think in an impressive – Manner, Mace Funa, Oregon's true freshman outside linebacker, has led the team in sacks. Uh, he leads all FBS freshmen in tackles for loss with five, as well as sacks with three. Uh, he's tied for the conference lead in sacks, second in tackles for loss. I think in this football game, uh, he's gonna, he's going to do, uh, some impressive things. I think he records two sacks which will be the second time this season that he's done that. And he's already t- – uh you know, the last time that happened was when a freshman had two sacks in a game was Jalen Jelks in 2015. Uh, and he was also the first Duck earlier this year to have two sacks in a game since 2017. Um, I think he does two sacks and three tackles for loss, and we continue to see the hype machine of true freshman linebacker Mace Funa con- increase and start generating some – so maybe national discussion a little bit. If he starts, if he continues to play at this level and he has a game like you mentioned there, and this is again going to be on a national stage, I, I do think he's going to start becoming one of those guys who's up for maybe like defensive freshman of the year, certainly in the conference and, and nationally he'll get that kind of consideration because that would bring him up to like what five sacks and set, you know, eight tackles for loss and there's still three quarters of the season left. So um, that would be a huge, huge boon for this defense. And I'll, I, I had one here that was a little bit similar, and I'll, I'll, run, I'll run with that since it's along kind of the same narrative. But I think Oregon's going to get five or more sacks in this game. Um, we, we've seen how aggressive and how disruptive this front and these linebackers and even sometimes bringing a safety to add a little extra pressure has been through three games. I mean, they lead the conference in sacks. They lead the conference in tackles for loss. They're one of the best teams nationally in both categories. You talked about Mace Foon, and there's a lot of other guys who've also – Made contributions. But my thing is, Stanford could be without both its top left and right tackles and its top right guard and a couple of other depth pieces on the offensive line. I could see a scenario here where Stanford might have to throw the ball a lot because Oregon gets ahead and Costello's back there and Oregon is just firing guy, firing guy off the edge and, and gets after Costello and brings him down a lot. I mean, even in the Auburn game, I think they only had the one sack, but I was looking at this yesterday. I think they had seven quarterback hits. 
um, which is a lot. And, you know, they basically have had between 8 and 12 quarterback hits or sacks, like a combination of the two stats, in all three games. I think this is another game where they get after Stanford. I think that's going to be kind of what we ex- come to expect from this group, and, and I'm thinking it's going to be five or more on Saturday. That would be impressive, five sacks uh, from an org. I'm trying to – I've been trying to find it real quick in the game notes, but I'm curious what the um, game record would be for most sacks in a a football game for Oregon. Like I, I got to think five, Eric might be up there, right? Like I know, I know five's the season high because they had, I think they had five against Nevada. So Um, let me see. It's got to be then like seven or eight. Like that's got to be the, the 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 program high for for sacks in a game. I'm here, I, I found it right now. Cool. Uh, oh, those are individual records. Uh, let's see here, individual, individual. These are all individual records. Where's the team records? This is great podcasting where we're looking through the record book. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, not not important. Not important. We'll, we'll find it at some point um, and, and maybe post it in the, in the thread. Um, yeah. But my, it, it, yeah, go ahead. My my second bold prediction is going to be: I think this Oregon defense is kind of staying along lines of you. Um, I I think they are really good, and yeah. I think they could do a lot of damage against Stanford. And so I'm thinking we're going to see a team that's going up against an offensive line with a lot of freshmen, a lot of backups having to play against Oregon, knowing how aggressive Andy Avalos, Oregon's defensive coordinator, is. Um, I think we see them get very aggressive, and it pays off. And Oregon comes out and creates three or more turnovers in this game on Saturday. I, I think turnovers would be uh... – expected byproduct of what I think is going to be a lot of pressure brought. And Costello's a pretty good quarterback, but if you just throw a guy after him, like I, I, really, I really think that's what they're going to do. I think they're going to bring a lot of pressure on him, test that offensive line. And look, if that offensive line is able to keep Oregon's rushers at bay, good on them. And I think Oregon will take that. But I, I think they're going to challenge him, especially early on in the game. Um, I this found one, the sacks, by the way. What is it? It's nine. It's nine? Okay. What would you know? What year was that in? Uh, happened twice. It happened in '94 at USC, Ooh. that big game there, and then it happened again in 2017 or 2007, excuse me, um, at home against Arizona State. So both times in Pac-12 play. Correct. Uh, my next one. I think Justin Herbert's going to have a good day, but I don't think he throws a touchdown pass to a wide receiver. Um, I mentioned it earlier. I, I think, does tight ends count, or do, or are you? I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just, yeah, tight ends are not included in my wide receiver group. Okay. So I, I, I'm expecting it's going to be a game where I still think they'll have success throwing to wide receivers, but I just have a hunch that this game is going to be a thing where Herbert maybe throws two touchdowns and they both go to, like, Breland or Bay or maybe even a running back. Because, again, I, I, I expect Paulson Adebo to do a really good job on Johnny Johnson. I don't think this is going to be a huge Johnny Johnson game. And maybe I'll be totally wrong and he'll just put up crazy numbers. I mean, Dylan Mitchell last year against Stanford's defense, and obviously they're – slightly different group, uh, put just shredded them. So maybe I'm overlooking that fact here. But I, I expect that Oregon is going to have more success throwing to its tight ends than its wide receivers. And I kind of think it's going to be Breland catches one and maybe Spencer Webb, who I guess is technically a wide receiver now, 
but it's like it feels <laughs> kind of like a tight end. So maybe I'm stretching the rules here, but like some, something like some combination of that. Um, just because I think that's going to be kind of how they attack it. I do think, and we'll get to this in a sec, I do think the run game is going to play into it more, especially around the goal line. That's an interesting one. Um, I think a receiver scores. I think we see either Johnny or Jalon find their way into the end zone for a touchdown. Um, I do think we will see Oregon miss two field goals or fail on fourth down inside Stanford's 40 uh, in this football game. Similar, I made a, a similar prediction to Auburn. Um, yeah. I, I, I think Oregon's going to have an, a couple opportunities of scoring opportunities on fourth down inside Stanford territory, and they're not going to take advantage of it. And it's going to create a game where it, it, it could get ugly, but it, because of those mishaps, um, Oregon does not play at their best, I guess you could say, offensively, as they could have. My next one here, I think Oregon is going to allow Stanford to score an offensive touchdown. Ooh. It's not that bold of a prediction, but Oregon has not allowed either of its last two opponents to do so. And we should mention they didn't allow Auburn to get in the end zone until the second half of that game. Um, I actually think they're going to allow uh, Stanford to score two touchdowns. Um, and, and again, this isn't like, maybe this isn't the most bold prediction, but I, based upon how good this Oregon defense has looked, I just, I just think there's, I don't expect them to shut out every opponent or keep sure. every opponent out of the end zone. I think this is going to be a game where Maybe it's even early. I, I could see Stanford having some success moving the ball down the field a little bit, and there's maybe a moment of like, whoa, like this this defense has looked so good previously. Like, what's going on here? The Stanford offense hasn't looked very good. I think eventually they do ready the ship and 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 play a pretty good game. But I expect Stanford to to do something which the last two opponents haven't done, which is get into the end zone. I am with you on that one. I I do think Stanford scores a touchdown um, against Oregon's defense and. Their first team defense, to be honest with you. Um, all right, number four. Um, I have so you have Justin Herbert not throwing a touchdown pass to a receiver in this football game. I have Justin Herbert throwing five touchdown passes for a third straight game. I, I don't really care who he does it, who 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 catches him, um, but I think he throws for five touchdowns again in this football game. I I'm I'm wow. not sold against Stanford's. Uh, Oregon's run game being, you know, this juggernaut, and I'm not sold that Oregon's all of a sudden going to show up and, you know, they're going to get a ton of touchdowns on the ground against the Stanford defense in particular. So I think if Oregon does their damage, it's going to be through the air and then behind the arm of their gunslinger and Justin Herbert. Yeah, we went totally opposite on that one here. Um, well, and this leads me into my, my next one, which is I do think Oregon is going to run the ball effectively. I think it's going to be, <laughs> I think it's going to be their, I think it's going to be their best running game to date. Um, and my, my bold prediction is Oregon has a 150 or more yard rusher. Ooh. We've only, we've only had one 100 yard rusher and that was Tra- uh, Travis Dye last game. He had 101 yards against Montana. I think we talked about this a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think if it was on our mail. It was, must have been on our mailbag podcast on Wednesday. Um, but just about how it feels like Oregon has the potential to take a step with its run game and maybe focus on one running back. I think they're, I think we're going to see that this game. I think it's going to be CJ Verdell, and I think he's going to have a game where he's had a really slow start to the season. He played pretty good at moments against Auburn. He had a long run in that game. But we haven't really seen a ton of him or a ton of success from him since then. I think that changes on Saturday. I think he comes out and runs the ball very effectively. 
I think he's going to be the bell cow back, and I think we're going to see the first. I think the the high right now in terms of attempts per for a game is die against Montana, which was 17. I think he's going to carry the ball over 20 times, and I think he's going to pass 150 yards. I think he's probably going to carry maybe 25 times uh, in this game, and I think that's going to be a big part of Oregon winning this game is not just Justin Herbert's ability to throw the football, not just this defense, but also I think this running game is going to take a big step forward. That's a really interesting one, and a lot of confidence in the run game that you know, as a whole statistically has looked okay, but as an individual group, I don't know if you can – Say any one guy has been dominant so far. So that's, that's definitely a bold pick. I'll give you that. Um, my fifth one, uh, I don't know if this is necessarily a bold pick, but I, I think for the third straight game, we see Oregon's offense, um, go over 500 yards, but kind of going with a total offense, but kind of going along the lines of number three. Um, uh, I think there's in last week in particular against Montana, I think there's going to be a feeling of like, yeah, they played well, but at the same time, like, there was some points left on the board, and it could have gotten even worse. And right. the game could have even been better for Oregon if they had just executed. All right. My last one. Are we on our last ones now? Yes. All right. Uh, I think, and this ties into what we're about to talk about, I think the Ducks double the spread. Ooh. Um, and the spread right now is – I think it's 10 points. 10 and a half. 10 and, 10 and a half. Yeah, okay. So the, I did my mouth right here. I have uh, Oregon winning by doubling the spread, I think by 21 points. And I I just think this is a game where I do think Stanford's going to bring it. And I do think it's going to be maybe a pretty close game for the first half. But I think Oregon pulls away, and they win comfortably. And it's a statement game. And you come away saying, okay, maybe they didn't. They should have finished that Auburn game. They showed some good stuff in non-conference play, but this team has showed now that they can compete in this conference and that they might be really that top team in the conference, and they go into the bye week with a lot of momentum, a lot of confidence. Uh, I think there's so much motivation from this group. I mean, One thing I, we haven't even mentioned yet is that this senior class hasn't beaten Stanford. They're, they're yeah. 0 for 3. They're trying to win for the first time against this group, and you pair that with last year's just devastating loss with – everything else that's going on with this program, with their with their aspirations to win the conference, I think they come out, and I think they deliver, and I think they double the spread. So it's kind of funny. We're, we're, this goes into our next segment and our final segment on this Friday afternoon, Friday morning, whenever you're listening to this. Maybe you're listening to us on a Saturday, getting ready for the game. Um, this goes into our predictions. I, I am with you. All week I felt like we're in – was going to barely cover. And maybe this is me just taking what our colleague RJ of, of the bootleg covers Stanford better than anyone else out there and knows this program really well. And maybe it's just our conversation with him kind of pushed me over the edge. But I'm just th- – I'm thinking that this Oregon team is going to come out and, you know, listening to them talk about how they've – you know, they've been waiting for this game all year – Mm-hmm. This this game has so much importance to them based off how last year finished, um, the importance of getting out and getting a two-game lead on one of the two other biggest challengers in your division. You know, if Because if, if Stanford loses, that's two conference losses. And yep. you know, that, that puts them behind the eight ball. They need Oregon to lose three times in conference play uh, for them to get over Oregon. So 
that, you know, knowing that's on the table for Oregon, I just think, I think we're going to get a game where Herbert's dialed in, the offense is clicking, the defense is aggressive, and they play, play well. And then you factor in with how banged up Stanford is. They don't have that dynamic, you know, sensational player on offense like they previously had. And, and yes, they have Parkinson at tight end, and they've got some, a couple guys at receiver that are pretty good, but, they don't have a Bryce Love. They don't have a Christian McCaffrey. They don't have an Andrew Luck. Like, they don't have this guy that everyone in the country wants to watch. And so all of those factors in considering, I think Oregon comes into this football game, and they, they play one of their best games in the last three years at Oregon, four even. And they win this football game 45-17. to 17. I'm with you. I think they they double up the spread. I have 38-17, so we didn't exactly nail it like we did last I had week. that previously. Oh, boy. Well, we almost did it again, folks. We almost had the exact same score prediction for consecutive weeks. Um, I had yeah. that previously, and then this morning I messaged Kevin when I sent off my prediction and said, I'm, I'm changing it. I'm going to tag on one more touchdown. Oh, yeah, you got greedy. Um, <laughs> I, 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 for a lot of the same reasons you just stated, um, I, I think this game means a lot. I think they're really motivated. I think Stanford's in a weird place. So I, I would feel, I, I don't know, it, I feel like Stanford is such an anomaly kind of right now. Like, I don't know exactly what to expect from them, but I think regardless of what Stanford brings, I think Oregon is going to be so ready to just shut the door on this whole can't get over the big one against Stanford thing. And I think they're going to do it in impressive fashion, which is why I say 38-17. Like I said earlier, I think Stanford's going to score two touchdowns. I wouldn't be shocked at all if this is like a Oregon's ahead 21-14 at the half type of thing, and you go into the half going like, well, they're they're in control, but, man, they they still need to make some plays in the second half. Let's see if they can finish. And then midway through, you know, by the end of the third quarter, you look up and they're up 35-14, and you feel really, really good about the outcome of the game. So, yeah, I think 38-17, I think Oregon – Doubles up the spread. I think they win handily. They go into the bye week three and one and one and zero in Pac-12 play, and really in a nice spot um, after the bye to to maybe rattle off some more wins because two home games against Cal and Colorado, and then the big one in Seattle against Washington. I'm with you. I th- I think this game is close in the first half, and then whether it's a turnover here or you know explosion play offensively for Oregon. Backed by up a third, you know, a three and out defensively and another big, you know, closure play. I think Oregon just kind of wears Stanford down in the second half, which is crazy to say, but I, I think the second half we kind of see a game that was close turns into a football game that ends up being a blowout. And I think because of the name of Stanford that, that, that carries, I think there's going to be a lot of people talking about Oregon after uh, week four of the college football season. Well, that was my, I have one, one last question. If, if Oregon wins this game, which I think we both think they will, and if they win it, say by 21, 28 points, like we're talking, where do you think they move in the polls? They're currently 16th, um, I believe in both polls, or maybe it's just 16 in the AP and 17 the coaches. Um, but do you think they move up two or three spots? Does Stanford still carry the weight where a road win at their place in dominant fashion is something that, you know, moves the needle? Or do you think it's like sort of a, eh, that maybe they only move up if teams ahead of them lose? Hmm. I I think Stanford carries a lot of weight nationally, even though they've been blasted the last two weeks. And this would, if our predictions come true, it would be three weeks in a row. Um, 
so I I think they would probably move from like what are they sixteen right now? Yeah. Um, yeah, I I would think they probably on the road against a team that's kind of given them struggles. Uh, you know, the Sanford won three in a row against the Ducks. Um, I would say they probably would jump to just outside of the top ten, like thirteen, twelve. You know, somewhere in that nature. But there is a there is a possibility though. I mean, look at the teams that are playing this week, and there is a possibility where if Oregon looks really really good and a couple things go their way, they could find themselves in the top ten. I mean, Utah plays at USC. Um, you've got Michigan and Wisconsin playing against each other, and those are two opponents that are ranked higher than Oregon. Um, you've also got Auburn taking on Texas A&M on the road. What happens if Auburn loses that football game? What if it's ugly? Uh, you know, so there's, there's going to be some games. Um, Texas plays Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State hasn't lost. Texas is 12th in the country. Notre Dame and Georgia are both ranked higher than Oregon. So one of those two teams are going to lose. So, you know, if, if it would take everything falling <laughs> their right way to, to get into the top 10, but it's, I mean, it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think I think inside the top ten is probably it feels like slightly like a stretch to jump six or so spots, but I, I agree. I, I think a win and a dominant win like we're talking moves them right on the fringe there. And then who knows? They might even jump into the top ten in the bye week just by teams ahead of them losing. I'd have to look at that schedule um, that following week to, to really assess that better. But I, I think this is a team that's going to be in the top ten probably by and maybe this is a good bull prediction to end with. But by the end of the month, I think. Uh, or by the second week of October when they entered that game against Washington, I think they are going to be ranked in the top ten. Yep. That would be fantastic news, I'm sure, for Oregon and for Oregon fans. And so we'll see if it plays out. Thanks for listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel, as always, has joined me on the show. We'll talk to you after Oregon plays Stanford live from the Stanford Press Box. Eric and I will both be there. Talk to you soon. Adios, amigos.